0: Great morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University Class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you today. The purpose of Thank God for Monday is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times, motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to how to utilize the information we provide today, take full accountability for the decisions you make, and the resulting outcome. Now, one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models, role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. And as such, we are honored today to have with us a most special guest. His name is Peter Capelli. Peter is the George W. Taylor Professor of Management at the Wharton School and director of Wharton Center for Human Resources. He is also the author of a very enlightening book. It's entitled, The Future of the Office. Work from home, remote work, and the hard choices we all face. Great morning, happy new year, and welcome to thank God for Monday, Peter.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. Pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, the honor is all ours. Please share with the listeners and me from what city and state you're speaking from today.
1: Well, I'm based in uh, Philadelphia, but uh, today I'm actually down the water a little bit uh, in, on the Chesapeake Bay. So it's quite cold and snowy here. Very pretty.
0: Oh, must be no doubt about that. Sadly, we've only got 30 minutes, Peter. We could spend hours talking about this great book of yours and even about your incredible life, certainly an experience. Before we dive into the book, maybe you could share with the listeners and me just a little bit more about yourself, please. Who is Peter Capella?
1: Well, yeah, Um, I think hitting the high points uh, uh, and the the best uh, stuff, I think. professional career. I've been very diverse, I guess. I've been a professor my whole adult life, so very long uh, time now, and I've been interested originally in policy questions, and that is, you know, what sorts of things can government do or broadly defined society do, particularly around issues on the workplace to try to make people's lives better and also try to make, you know, the employers. More effective, so I've maybe more than most academics spent time thinking about what the topical issues are. You know, I think as ep- academics we have an incredibly privileged p- position, and that is that we're allowed time just to watch and th- think about things, and we can say pretty much whatever we want, right? We <laughs> we can't get into we can't get into too much trouble, but we have a responsibility, I think. Um, to take that uh, freedom seriously. And so I spent a fair amount of time talking to the press, I think, to try to help them understand what some of these issues are and to jump into the topical questions when we're struggling to figure out what they are and work from home is one of those.
0: Wow, we are so blessed to have someone of your ilk today with us, Peter. So thank you again for joining us. We're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool on this great book of yours, The Future of the Office, because we understand for employers, there are some real good pros for an office environment versus a remote environment. Share with us, please, a couple of these pros for employers.
1: Yeah, well, even before that, I I think you put your finger on the big issue, and that is that we need to find ways to think about this that work for the employer and not just for the employees, when we're talking about the future of the office, right? But in an office environment, you can learn a lot. So think about, for example, the very beginning of your career, the first time you left school and had a serious job, you know, you learned a lot really fast, and some of it is about people, and some of it is about How work gets done and expectations and such. Uh, You learn that by being around other people, whether it was in a factory or whether it was in an office or a university or anything. And if you didn't have those contacts, um, you know, you wouldn't learn nearly as much information gets conveyed much faster and much better face to face than it does through letters or you know phone calls we probably all have experienced the fact that you can get in fights on email very quickly yes. uh, but if it's face to face you you don't do it quite so easily uh, so you know there's all kinds of things that make work more productive when we are face-to-face. Now this is not maybe all kinds of work. If you are a complete individual contributor, maybe this doesn't matter so much. If you're a outside salesperson spending all the time with your clients, maybe it doesn't matter so much, but for most jobs and particularly white collar jobs, it seems to be really useful.
0: This brings back such wonderful memories for me because June 13, 1977, was my first day in big pharmaceuticals as an accounts receivable clerk. Oh, <laughs> I can very much remember being surrounded by other clerks and their receivables personnel. And you're exactly right to be around them and soak up like a sponge all of their expertise and knowledge. And their role modeling for me was uh, was very very important. So we've talked about a couple of the pros for employers. Uh, Maybe this is a silly question, are there any cons for employers
1: for an office environment versus a remote environment? Well, I think this is a a good time to remember or to note that inside the employer world, they they don't always speak with one voice, right? There are different and competing interests. And the people in charge of finance, CFO, Chief Financial Officer, and their colleagues, you know the first thing they look at are costs and if we could get rid of offices we would save a lot of money so one of the things we saw at the very beginning of the pandemic when people were sent home in march of 2020 you know 2 years ago almost wow uh, is that uh, at that point i think 34% of cfo's surveyed said they were planning to cut their real estate footprint right so offices are kind of expensive to operate and so You know, there is a view that uh, you could save a lot of money by not having them, that's true. But that's also true that you would lose a lot, the kinds of things we just described. So within the business community, they're not always speaking with one voice, even inside the same companies as to how they think about this. But I think in general, most of the executives at the very top of the organization are thinking that offices matter still and getting people back in the office seems to matter.
0: This brings back some more memories of my time at Big Pharma. I was Mm. basically in the accounting group for most of my career. And uh, having a discussion one day with the controller, uh, I was trying to advocate for an additional resource. And she quickly pointed out to me, Greg, that there was quite a large allocation to our department for the space, this new person would be using. I uh, oh. could understand why that would maybe deter bringing on a new person. But yep. we've done a great job, Peter, talking about the employer side. Let's shift gears now, if it's okay, and talk about employees. Are there some pros to the employee, if you will, for an office mm. environment versus the remote environment?
1: Well, I think this is another time where. Um, there is a lot of thing about a lot of diversity of interests, right? So uh, for one group of people, if you, if you look at the survey results on this, you know, there are about a third of the workforce that kind of really wants to get back to the office. Um, there's a pretty small group, depending on the surveys, maybe about 10% or so, who would like to never go into an office again. Wow. They want to be permanently remote. You know, and these are the kind of folks we hear so much about. They would like to, you know, move to their favorite resort community (laughs) and work out of their home, you know, Um, and most people are in the middle and in the middle means they would like more flexibility. But let's talk a little bit about the, the different groups within there. If you are a new employee, for example, right, it is very difficult to be remote, because you just don't know what's going on. And you're not going to learn it by by Zoom. If you are new to the workforce, you're just out of college or out of high school, you want to be in the workplace because that's where you're going to meet people, right? Uh, And not just to learn how to do the job, but for fun in your social life, you know, particularly in the US, so much of our life revolves around the workplace. And if you don't have one, you're really at a disadvantage. I mean, could you imagine, you know, thinking about your uh, former colleagues leaving school and you said, I got this great job in Manhattan. Uh, oh, wow, that sounds exciting. But they told me I have to work from home. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'm going to be in my parents' basement uh, for the oh, next year. Wow. Right? Uh, that would be incredibly depressing. right? So the interests vary a lot. The people most interested in remote work of some kind um, tend to be people who have big caregiving responsibilities. Uh, Those who are not so interested in it tend to be sort of younger people who don't have much obligations outside of, of the workplace. So, you know, this is why the hybrid idea of something that gives people more choice would be, you know, appealing to more people. But whether that works for the employer is another question.
0: Well, it seems like then there are pros and there are cons for both the employer and the employee. Uh, When we're talking about an office environment workers versus a remote environment. Now, I'm very curious because you said in the introduction, uh, you talk to people about policy and the impact of things on uh, other things, et cetera, et cetera. So this is a great time to ask this question. How do all these pros and cons affect items such as the development of personnel, professional relationships, quality of productivity?
1: even quality of
0: life.
1: Yeah. Uh, No, those are really important questions. And, and, you know, thinking about it from the perspective of the individual, let's say you are somebody who is beginning your career, you really ought to be in the office for your own good, because you're just not going to learn enough otherwise being remote. If you're somebody who wants to advance as a manager, you really have to be in the office because that's where most learning takes place and that's where the opportunities to manage are frankly at least so far we're not seeing remote managing remote workers as being a path uh, to the top so you know for individuals being in the office is really important for advancing your own career for the productivity of the offices uh, organizations you know it's this has been the biggest surprise right is that most employers I think felt that if people were working from home, they would be watching Gilligan's Island all day (laughs) on TV and not getting anything done, you know, and that turned out to be sort of absolutely not the case, right? So that's been the biggest surprise, uh, is that things got done, work seemed to get done, employers seemed to be pretty happy with what their employees were doing. And surprisingly, uh, a lot of employees, maybe most of them, seemed to be pretty happy with the arrangements as well and that's why this is such a a big choice greg is because it seems to have been working to have people be remote and so you know the employers might be saying okay this was great thank you very much let's come back to the office and the employees are saying well if it was working so well why do we have to go back to the office right Uh Um, and that's that's why this is such an important and potentially divisive kind of a question right
0: No question about that. Now, it's interesting because dovetailing what I just asked you is this next question, because, and I live right here in beautiful Brooklyn, and clearly there has been a very significant impact on Brooklyn, Manhattan, even New York City as a whole, if you will, the whole pandemic and people working remotely versus in Manhattan. But can we please talk more, Peter, about the impact on items such as the local, even the global economy, residential and commercial real estate, climate, and even just the way society functions. Help us out. What are we missing
1: here, Peter? Yeah, that is a really big uh, issue. And I think one of the things we know is that any big change is disruptive. It creates winners and losers, right? So if you think about the initial part of the pandemic when so many more people were working from home. At its peak, the census indicates that about a third of U.S. employees were working from home. It's dropped a lot now, but that's a lot of people. Sure. And you could see some of the winners and losers, right? If you were trying to sell a house uh, not in the city, you know, it was a great time because so many people wanted to move further away partly because they thought they could just keep working wherever they were and they wanted to be out of the cities, right? If you were a restaurant owner, particularly in a city, it was a disaster for you, right? Mm. Um, Because office workers weren't there, your lunch business disappeared, you know, all those kinds of things. So, you know, there is a kind of real estate winners and losers thing from working from home. How bad that's going to be, it's a little hard to say. We had a conference with the Federal Reserve on this topic uh, a few months ago, and it looked like, at least at present, commercial real estate was not in so much trouble. Uh, There might be some conversions uh, in the big cities like New York and in Philadelphia, more commercial buildings might become condos than we would have seen before wow you know there might be some turnover there um the business of serving the public in these areas is going to be hurt particularly restaurants and the kind of services that Mm might have been done there but honestly i think that the places that are going to be hurt the worst are not the big cities you know as you know in in Brooklyn, a lot of people wanna live in Brooklyn, right? Sure. Um, and even if they're not working there, people wanna live there, cause it's a fun place to live. The real problems I think are these edge cities and the suburban corporate office parks, Tyson's Corners oh. in Washington, DC, or wow. here in Philadelphia, King of Prussia. Uh, and the communities around those, cause the only reason they existed was because the jobs were there. You know, New York would still be important even if the corporations decided to move some of their headquarters out, as they frankly been doing for decades, right? Sure. Get big, they move out, right? Uh, because people want to be there for other reasons. But these edge city communities, I think they they have some real trouble. Just one quick thing on commuting. That's one thing you hear um, is that this reduces commuting and that that's a big savings. Uh, That's certainly true. Although not everybody has a long commute. Uh, And it's surprisingly also true. So the U.S. Department of Transportation says that driving is not down by as much as you would have thought, because even though people aren't commuting in their cars to work as much, because they're home more, they're driving around home more. Uh, so the total amount of driving is not, is not down by as much as we might've hoped if you're interested in uh, car pollution, especially, right? So there are different winners and losers uh, on this and it could be very big effects. Some people really getting hurt depending if you're in the wrong business. And you know, as with all kinds of changes, if we could slow them down a bit, it wouldn't be nearly as damaging for everybody.
0: It's so fascinating you mentioned about the driving because uh, one of the things beautiful Brooklyn is known for is its traffic. And (laughs) it really hasn't diminished that much during the pandemic. Not nearly as much as I would have thought. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. for sure, no doubt about it. Now, when looking at the future of the professional office, is there leverage? What leverage do employer and employees have when negotiating? you know, what's this really gonna look
1: like? Yeah, well, I think one of the problems, and you know, we've seen this in all aspects of public life is when we have people in disputes or disagreements who have different sort of sets of facts or different views on what the reality of the world is, right? So I think, I really hope that employers will spend some time uh, looking into what their experience has been this past year Uh, and see what they learned from it, you know? Is it, how important is it for employees to be in the office and and how often? Um, I think most employees, for example, would like more flexibility to be able to be home more when they need to be. From the employer's perspective, is that possible? How disruptive is that really, right? Um, So I think if we had common facts, maybe we wouldn't have such a hard time finding ways in which we could both both sides, employers and employees be better off. I, I think at the moment, you know, in the US, the employers have most all the marbles, as they say, right? Sure. Um, they make the decisions. What we're seeing in some areas though, is that the demand from uh, workers in tight labor markets for more flexibility is enough to change things. So you see this, I think, most clearly in the field of law. And the reason for that is because at the hiring level, the big law firms are all hiring from roughly the same law schools. Those law school graduates are all interviewing at roughly the same set of big firms. And they're all talking to each other. And all the, you know, the new associates are new graduates are asking about flexibility of some kind or another. And as far as I can tell, the law firms are responding because they don't wanna be the outlier who doesn't offer any flexibility when their competitors are because they won't get the kids they want, right? Wow. So there's some of that going on in particular areas, maybe in places of IT, I think. But frankly, the employees don't have that much leverage And I don't think, to be honest, that the employers have really thought this through. So for example, there's a survey recently of executives finding that the executives sort of overwhelmingly think it's important to have people back in the office. It's also the case that they're not talking to their employees about what the employees want, right? And I think going with your gut is always a bad idea Mm. rather than looking at real evidence. And I'm afraid that's what we're doing.
0: Wow. Uh, There's a phrase that we used to use in big form and even here in higher education, competitive advantage. Do yeah. I perceive, Peter, that companies, if they do this well, they could actually, like a law firm, could gain competitive advantage over another law firm That doesn't do it well?
1: Uh, that is the bet, right? for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these firms. I think it's the important thing for employers, though, is to think about, are we taking this seriously? Or are we just going to override this because the local boss doesn't think it's a good idea? Right? Could we actually look and see, as opposed to just going with our, our biases, you know, we, we go with our biases far too much. uh, And in employment, in particular, this often leads to really bad, you know, bad outcomes from people. So, you know, kind of that, that's what I'm hoping, but it could be a source of competitive advantage in in the job market. You know, one of the things we we haven't talked about, we don't really know about this much though, is to what extent employers might be thinking about permanent remote work as a way of hiring workers who are not in the U.S. Um, So, you know, let's go to India, let's go to Kazakhstan, We'll hire some people there. There are no visa issues as long as they stay in Kazakhstan, you know, you can pay a fraction of what you pay in the U.S. Now, they could have always done that, Um, but maybe this opened the eyes of some of the employers. You hear this in tech all the time that that's what they're thinking, is that it makes it easy to hire people from everywhere and they're not saying outside the us but of course that's what they're thinking too right wow Um, and that's a big issue right that would be a big big change
0: no question about it. i know it's a global marketplace but to be able to radically now hire people as you say literally anywhere in the world the technology and peter i don't know about you i'm an old baby boomer yeah so, I remember when I used a manual typewriter to type my mm-hmm. resume.
1: And I do too.
0: You know, <laughs> technology has just changed how we can connect around the world and work together around the world. It, it is amazing. So, as you adroitly say, well, there's a lot of things uh, to think about, uh, no doubt about it. Now, one of the things you talked about also mentioned the word this hybrid. This hybrid work environment. I know here, where I work at St. Francis College, uh, we're moving more and more to that model. Not only for the staff like me and a part-time adjunct professor like me, but even for our courses. You know, some of them are uh, maybe half time in person and half time on the computer, and the work uh, like the same. Uh, you know, it seems to me that's fraught with challenges for companies planning to use the hybrid. Am I right there? And what are some of these
1: challenges? Yeah, I, I think that's right. Uh, and, and you know the problem is the flip side of flexibility is unpredictability. Right. So uh, if you're an you know if you're the employer and you got a team of five people, and let's say you're allowing them to work from home when they feel they need to. And and let's say even if you have a barrier on it, so it's a day a week, let's say, right? Um, but there are important things that you need to have done in the office, and you know one of the things that we do seem to recognize really matters is that if you're going to have productive meetings, it's really important for people to be there. It just doesn't work well if you are the one person calling in. People ignore you, right? Uh, or even if it's on Zoom, they ignore you, you don't you get cut out of the conversation. Sure. But, so having everybody is there. Well, can we get everybody in the office at the same time when everybody is picking their own day to work from home? Right? Um, how does that work? And if we're bringing in new employees and we're trying to orient them, and we have our office as even places like Google now, for example, which say, you know, Google make a fetish out of being in the office all the time, and now all their employees can work two days a week from home and can just go remote. Wow. So how do you even orient the new hires? Uh, How long is it going to take for them to meet everybody in their work group when some people are only there a a day a week or something like that? And, you know, it'll take take quite a long time, right? So um, I, I think the problem for employers on the flexibility side is this issue of predictability of schedules and the challenge for supervisors of how do you manage people who are remote, we've been through a little bit of that, but particularly then how do you also manage at the same time other people in your work group who are there face-to-face? How do you try to be fair to these two cohorts of people in such different circumstances, but otherwise you're supposed to be treating them equally? How do you do that, right? And we don't have any good idea how to do that.
0: Very, very difficult, no doubt about it. Time is short, unfortunately, Peter, but I still have a couple of important questions to ask you, Time is usually going way too quickly. Uh, there are organizations who are looking at to bring people back into the office, as we've talked about. Uh, it sounds like you believe it's critical to establish a quote-unquote re-onboarding program for the first few days back in the office. Is this true? And share with us a little bit about this, please
1: yeah, so I think you know this is an opportunity in many ways for employers. if you have not had your people back in the office for a while, or at least collectively. It is an opportunity to change things. most places would like some things to be done differently. And because we've been out of the office for a while, we're a little bit shaken out of our own routines, old routines. And you know, this is a way of saying, okay, You know, we're going to try to do some things differently from the very first time you come back in the office. So it could be part of a change process to do other things. I think in general, though, a lot of people are nervous about coming back to the office. Uh, It is uh, been a long time for a lot of people, right? Uh, almost two years. Sure. And some people in the office are gone. Some of them may have died in the in the pandemic, and others have had various kinds of tragedies. So the idea of pretending like nothing has happened is a bad thing, right? You know, if you're the employer, just say, "Come on back. We'll get started again at nine. Yeah. Ready go." Um, I think we need to have some time to let people process what the changes are, to reconnect with their fellow workers. Actually that's a big reason people want to be back in the office is to have those connections with each each other again. So doing that purposefully from the very beginning. And as an employer, if you want everybody to not be remote, to be back home, you got to tell them why, right? We just went through this experience where you told them things were going fine remote. So why do we have to be back? Well, you, you better make the case as to why it is. And it's not just because Peter, the boss thinks you're watching Gilligan's Island when (laughs) you're home, right? That's not going to get you very far.
0: Wow. Peter, we've saved the most important question for last. Where can our loyal listeners follow you? And how can they best purchase this great book, The Future of the Office?
1: Uh, Well, I think the the book, I think, as they say, is available at better bookstores everywhere. But I think (laughs) online, it's easiest. Amazon has it. Uh, Wharton Publishing, which published this one very quickly for us, get it out on time, it's available there too. Uh, fortunately, uh, Greg, as you probably know too, with with our uh, vowel-laced names, there's not a million Cellinis, uh, there's not a million Capellis. If you go to the Wharton School and you put Capelli in, you can get my web pages and all that sort of stuff, so it's not that hard to, to find me.
0: Listeners, no excuse. Let me give you the spelling. It's Peter C-A-P-P-E-L-L-I, certainly search him out on the web and pick up a copy of this great book, The Future of the Office, Work from Home, Remote Work, and the Hard Choices We All Face. Because coming into 2022 as we are now, we are going to face some very difficult choices as Peter Capelli has been telling us this last half hour. We really, really need to think about how are we going to work, where are we going to work, uh, as we proceed through 2022, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, when you're done following Peter and checking out his great website and book, uh, please don't forget about the Thank God for Monday website and also our social media, the Tiki Talk, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We love comments, questions, uh, suggestions for guests, things of that nature, et cetera. Et cetera. Peter Capelli, we can't thank you enough for being with us today on Thank God for Monday. We've never done a show of this nature. We've been very much enlightened. We've also been inspired. We need to pay attention to this topic, the future of the office. So continued success and happiness and all your great work at Wharton and elsewhere in the year 2022 and beyond. Thank you very much. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Brother Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Peter Capelli does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. See you next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday.